Dan Dane. That Dan Martin has been ripping it up at the Tour de France so far. Yeah, he has, man. He Let's see, he won that stage to Murder Bretagne, stage six. He's been on the attack in the Alps, really showing some panache so far at the Tour de France. Yeah, he's a great climber. And I'll tell you one thing that's not holding him back on those climbs, Dane, is sunglasses, because he's wearing Roca eyewear. Roca makes unbelievably lightweight cycling eyewear that seems to have accounted for every little detail necessary for performance on the biggest stage in the world, the Tour de France. Uh, I actually got a pair of these Rokas recently, and I'm loving them. Super comfortable, great optics, and like I said, they're very lightweight. So that helps make up for a little of the extra mass that I'm carrying around that, uh, you know, Dan Martin's a lot skinnier than I am, so I need all the help I can get. Yeah, and they look good too, I gotta say. Look well, sharp on him, and I'm sure they look sharp on you too, That's Spencer. very kind of you to say that, Dane. Bad radio, you guys can't see it right now, but I'm wearing them here in the studio. All right, let's get on with the Velo News Podcast. You're tuned into the Velo News Show. I'm Spencer Paulison here with Dane Cash coming to you from Boulder, Colorado. Dane has returned to the homeland here after a foray into France. Dane, you spent a solid, uh, what, 12 days on the Something tour? Something like that, yeah. Hard to remember with, yeah. uh, with the jet lag. You still jet lagged? A little you... bit. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you hopped off the tour after the stage to Roubaix, That's which right. was very exciting. And that, that actually, I think, was the last time that we were coming into your ear holes here on the Velo News podcast. So... A lot has happened since then in the Tour de France. It's been a crazy week of racing, Dane. Um, I mean, right off the top, we got to talk about this big storyline, which is Team Sky. Yeah. Who's in charge? Yeah, good question. I mean, they don't really seem to uh, really enjoy the palace intrigue. We've been asking them questions about it for the last two weeks here, and they seem to kind of deflect. But you got to say, Garen Thomas, wearing the yellow jersey after 12 stages of the Tour de France, I mean, it, it made sense for them to go into the Tour with a backup plan with Froome. Yeah, he rode the Giro, kind of facing that looming anti-doping case, which was cleared up just before the race. So it made sense to have a plan B, but I don't think anybody expected good old plan B to be leading the race with a minute and 39 seconds over Chris Froome after 12 stages. Ooh, and... Best uh, headline I've seen in a while, actually, from our friend Andrew Hood on the ground in Europe is Plan G. Ooh, G for Garen yeah. Thomas. So Plan G. Plan G seems to be uh, moving up in the alphabet because I think I dragged him a little before the Tour de France. I thought Plan G was appropriate since it was pretty far down from a B or even a C level plan. But wow, he's been infallible so far. I mean, coming off of that Roubaix stage, everyone was looking at him as the guy who could potentially move into yellow. Uh, we saw Greg Van Evermet wearing yellow jersey, went on the attack on that first day through the Alps to Le Grand Bournon, stage 10. That was a that was some real panache. You gotta Chapeau. admit. Yeah. yeah, Greg Van Evermet riding to defend yellow. He knew he wasn't gonna keep it after that stage. Yeah, yeah, that was a really nice ride. And and uh yeah, it wasn't even gonna be for the stage win. It was purely just to kind of honor the jersey. And the fact that he managed to hold on to it on a stage like that, pretty impressive. Of course, the stage to follow, he was not going to hold on no. to. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but pure class on his part onto the stage 11, up to La Rosière. Garrett Thomas wins the stage, takes yellow, and then the questions start bubbling up. Are you the leader now, or is Chris Froome the leader? And they both kind of gave sort of contradicting quotes in the media, which I thought was rather hilarious because Garrett Thomas, you know, said what he's always said, where it's like, Chris Froome is our leader, or Froomey, as he likes to say, Froomey's our leader. You know, I'm riding for Froomey. It doesn't matter if I'm wearing yellow. Meanwhile, Chris Froome had something to say to the effect of, we will defend yellow, which to me sounds a little bit like, yeah, Garrett's going to be, he's going to be sitting in. He's not going to have to pull through in the valleys coming into the, to the finish climb to Alpe d'Huez on stage 12. Yeah. And uh, speaking of Alpe d'Huez, I mean, the, that final climb today on, on the uh, 12th stage, 
I was kind of looking forward to the final Sky Domestique pulling off the front so that we could see, well, what happens now? Is right. it Garen Thomas or is it Chris yes. Froome, right? And we got our answer. Well, we did, but Egon Bernal really made us wait, by the way. Yeah, I mean, we, we got like, to give a shout out to your boy. churning away for like 20 minutes on the final climb. I just kept thinking, all right, he's got to go. He's, he's going to blow. Number and then he just kept going. And you're the number one Egan Bernal fan. Oh, I office. do like Egan. We, we had a nice chat at the Tour of California. Yeah. He's, he's no joke. Yeah, he's no joke. He's pretty talented, as you yeah. can see today. I mean, Egan uh, Bernal was still on the front when Nairo Quintana went off the back. Yeah. So the, you know, the new Colombian blood clearly doing pretty well while the old Colombian blood was struggling today. Yeah, and yeah. sidebar take, Bernal... Definitely winning the best young riders jersey in this race. I'm saying it right now. I know Pierre Latour got a big, big lead after the first week of racing, but Bernal is looking nasty, and we still have lots of climbing to go. Yeah, unfortunately for Bernal, he lost some time early on in the race, and it seemed like, oh man, maybe Bernal's not going to win that white jersey we all thought he was going to win. But He's the way beast. he was climbing today, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, eventually he did. He did finally you right know, back pull to off the, the front. back to the main line yeah. story here. Back yes. to the point. Yes, uh, he pulls off the front, and when he does, Roman Bardet was kind of. Getting a little, getting a little frisky. antsy, getting a little, getting frisky. a little frisky, yeah. And it was Gary Thomas. I like Thomas. it when he gets that way, by yeah, the way. Me too. I mean, he makes yeah. the racing good. Uh, yes. It, it was Garen Thomas who was the one who closed that gap down. Yep. Garen Thomas right to the front, so, driving the pace. And I think it was a little windy on Alpe d'Huez as well, from what I was hearing. So it's, it's not no small thing that he right. took to the front to, to ride tempo and Froome was on his wheel. Yeah. I mean, so there is a slight indication there that I think Garen Thomas still playing the loyal domestique role. And then... Froome was the only one of those two to really put in a serious attack on the climb at any point. It didn't really work out. Dumoulin snuffed it out. And we'll get to that in a second because that's an important part it of is. the storyline too. But it is. But at the end of the day, Gary Thomas did kind of surge away to his own stage win for the second day in a row. Great win. Great yeah. sprint win. Yeah. Perfect tactics in the finale. He led through the final corner and added a few bonus seconds to the tally. And second stage win of the tour. And it's a big deal to win on Alpe d'Huez. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the climb is maybe, maybe the most famous of all of the Tour de France climbs. It's right up there. I mean, yeah. there's Ventoux, Galibier, and there's some others up. But I think Alpe d'Huez is maybe the top of the top. And you know Chris Froome wanted to win on Alpe d'Huez. He's yeah. never won on it before. He's raced up it four times in the tour, twice in yellow. And, yeah, you got to wonder yeah. if there was... because. Froome did not talk to the media after that stage. Yeah. And you got to wonder how, how he felt after that. Certainly, I'm sure he wasn't very cheered by the fact that most of the fans were booing him all the way up. We'll talk more about that later as well. But um, let's let's have let, – where do you stand on this, on, on this Dane? Is, is, is Froome actually the leader? Should he be the leader? I think what they did today is probably what we will continue to see them doing, which is – try to avoid the issue by having just so many strong domestiques that we don't really have to think about which of those two is going to pull until five minutes left on the stage. Uh, I, I don't think if Gary Thomas, you know, cracks at any point, I don't think we're going to see domestiques going back to help him. Mm. I think the, the sky train is going to be fully behind Chris Froome. If at any point Gary Thomas ever cracks. Mm. Okay. All That's, right. That said, I don't think Gary Thomas is going to willingly just sit up. No, of course not. And it doesn't look like he will either, given how strong he's been riding on the climbs. I'll tell you this, though. It's such an unknown for Chris Froome in this race because he just came off winning the Giro d'Italia. I said this in a roundtable earlier this week, but 
We don't know how he's going to perform in this third week of racing. Nobody has won a Giro Tour double since Marco Pantani in 1998. And we all know Marco Pantani had a little help for that. And I'm not talking about a team of super strong Team Sky Riders who are, you know, just heads and shoulders above the rest of the field. I think I know what you're getting at. Yeah. But there's a sort of a... He was Italian. That's my point. That's uh, fair enough. Yeah. There's sort of competing unknowns here, though. With, with Froome, it's, yeah, he just raced the Giro. Nobody's done the double in 20 years. Nobody's even ridden the Giro and won the Tour afterwards in 20 years, let alone winning the Giro. Right. But the other competing unknown here, Gary Thomas, he's never even been in the top 10 in, the, in a Grand Tour, you know, let alone a podium or even a, a top five. This is a guy who has been a loyal Sky Domestique for all these years, excellent one-week racer. Company man. He's a company man. He's getting that, that gold Rolex when he retires. Yeah, that's right, that's yeah. right. But... What's going to happen in the third week? Is he really still going to have it? I mean, for all the talent that he has, there's sort of something kind of similar with Richie Port, where these are guys who have done really well in one week races, but we've never seen it in three week uh, yeah. races. Just because, well, with Port, something always happens, and with Thomas, it's because he's been a loyal, company man yeah. all along, and he's kind of crashy too, a little bit. Know? Yeah, that happened last year in the Tour, happened in the Giro as well in 2017. Bad 2017 for Garrett Thomas. Uh, best Tour result overall, 15th. In 2016. Which is impressive if you're a domestique to finish 15th, by the way. Again, riding for Chris Froome. uh, Yeah, it does make you wonder if he can hang in that final week. And I will say there are some pretty gnarly little descents in the Pyrenees there that they're going to have to face. And the Alpine roads, generally speaking, a little more engineered, a little wider. Um, A rider who's maybe not as comfortable in in a race situation, bike handling-wise, maybe can fake it through the Alps. Um, but I'm thinking like, you know, this, this descent into Bagnard de Luchon on the, the stage after the rest day on Tuesday, I've done that climb and I've gone up and down at both directions and it is quite twisty and narrow. I mean, you never know what can go down in the frenzy of the final few kilometers of a race like that. And, um, you also just don't know how guys are going to react after the second rest day. Certainly Chris Froome, he knows how to handle that better than anyone given his extensive experience in Grand Tours. So... Ah, man, it's a real tough call, but I got to say that cushion that Garrett Thomas has in the overall, you don't want to squander that. No, that, it, that would be, that would, it would be a waste to squander that. You, I think, I think Sky should be protecting Garrett Thomas as best they can because it's, it's a pretty close GC race still. Absolutely. And having two guys up there is a big deal. It, it really forces everybody else in the race to react in a different way. We saw with Movistar the last uh, two stages, they have Alejandro Valverde, who is at least in the fringe enough of the GC that when he goes off the front early on in the race, people have to respond. With Sky, they now have two guys at the very top of the leaderboard. Yeah. That's all the more reason that these other teams have to be watching two different guys. That's a huge challenge for other teams in this race to have to worry about. Yeah, they're in the catbird seat, no question about it. Now, when it comes to this GC race, the, the point that I was getting at there in terms of this lead that Garen Thomas has in 1 minute 39 over Chris Room. Now's the time when we start talking about Mr. Tom Dumoulin. Now, he's won the Giro d'Italia last year. He was second to Froome in the Giro this year. And he's just 11 seconds behind Froome in the overall. I mean, really, Dane, can you think of anyone else who has such a perfect opportunity to take on Team Sky in this Tour de France? No, nobody's really even close, I would say, to being able to do it. And, and there's one really good reason for this, and that's the Stage 20 time trial. Yeah. So if, if Dumoulin is to follow the wheels and mm-hmm. stay safe, not lose any time in the next couple of days 
on these challenging stages. And, and that's a tall order. It's not like these are just walks in the park. It's the Pyrenees. Right. But if he is able the to next, hang on. Next week's races. Right, yeah. right. The, the, yeah. the couple of stages in the Pyrenees, that, that uh, crazy short mountain stage. I mean, there's some tough ones. That's the big question mark. Yeah. And we'll get into that on yeah. future podcasts, but yeah. that is the real question mark for Dumoulin in my mind as well. Yeah. But I mean, you're right. The time trial... If he can hold on, there's a there's a time trial in stage twenty. That this the penultimate stage and the really the final GC oriented stage. Oh yeah, is a time trial, and Tom Dumoulin is the world's best time trialist. I mean, Chris Froome the last several years has always been able to bank on being able to out time trial his rivals. I mean, Nairo Quintana, Roman Bardet, these poor climbers every year they seem to have a chance, and then a time trial rose along, and then Chris Froome just destroys everybody. And that's generally been the case. Maybe there's one tour where that wasn't the case, but this Tour de France, for once, Chris Froome's biggest rivals at the top of the leaderboard are actually pretty good at time trial. Gary Thomas, very good time trialist. Absolutely. Tom Dumoulin, world's best time trialist. Right. So that is a, that's a sort of different challenge that Chris Froome has not really had to deal with yet in the Tour de France. Yeah. And so if you look at the rest of the leaderboard here, you know, Vincenzo Nibali out today after crashing on Alpe Very unfortunate. Um, Primoz Roglic... Definitely a good time trial. Yes, but very good. Yeah. Really unproven in a Grand Tour. Right, so right. who knows how he's going to be going by stage twenty? Who knows if he even makes it that far? But uh, he's you know two forty six behind Garrett Thomas following the Alpe d'Huez stage. Then we have Romain Bardet, quite a pitiful time trialist in general. Mika Landa, ditto, patchy at best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Stevie Cruise ship, Stephen Kreuzwick. He's well back in the yeah, well, now. Now we're back. getting. I think we're too far down. We're getting into yeah. guys who are almost four minutes behind, and it's just like not even close. So it really just comes down to Tom Dumoulin, and um, he knows it. And I think he's got a lot of confidence. And uh, the guys on the ground actually were able to catch up with Tom Dumoulin after the Alpe d'Huez stage, and uh, we got a little audio from that. And I think it's really going to help us better understand what he's thinking and um, you know how he perceives the strengths and weaknesses of Team Sky looking ahead to the next week of racing. So let's hear from Tom at the finish of the Alpe d'Huez. Tom, were you happy with your performance today and did you learn anything about Sky's tactics? No, I'm not. I wanted to win today. Uh, I uh, let myself down, made a mistake with shifting when Landa attacked. It was my own fault and I was actually lost before the sprint uh, started. And I think I, had, I think I had a chance. Thomas was maybe slightly stronger, but if I played it smart, then I would have had a chance. And now I was lost before the sprint started. How difficult was today's stage? Because everyone at the finish there looked empty. Yeah, it was absolutely mental. Um, lots of GC riders attacked on Model N already, including Steven Kreisberg, and yeah, it was a full-on chase the whole day. It was really crazy. Did you learn anything about Sky's tactics today? You were curious this morning. Yeah, they they uh, try to keep both in GC and don't ride behind each other. And uh, well, I think Froome had the chance to attack. Uh, G didn't, so uh, that's good to know for the future. Did you already find out who's the strongest of those two? After two days in the, the tree. Last two days, uh, G was strong. How big an effort was it to bring back Froome when he attacked? No, uh, I was not on my limit then. So uh, I knew I had something left, but uh, it was quite a lot of wind and uh, 
technology could really uh, take advantage in my wheel and uh, it was unfortunate but yeah that's the advantage of having two guys in the in the GC. The outs are over now, where do you see yourself in terms of the GC GC battle? Uh, third position. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think that's my place for now. Today I was slightly stronger than uh, Froome but uh, I think G was still the strongest. Have we seen enough weakness in Sky to, see, to say that they can be beaten in this race? Uh, uh, well, eventually it all depends on legs. I mean, uh, they have a very strong team and they, they are capable of pulling anything back. But um, yeah, if uh, Thomas or Froome gets a bad day one day, then uh, we have to take advantage. Can you recall the moment at 2K when you four guys were riding beside each other? What happened over there? It's a mountain uh, no. stage finish. Nobody wanted to ride, pretty much, so I decided to uh, take an easy speed so I could recover a li little bit without all the attacks going on because if Froome and G would start attacking me one by one then uh, we would eventually uh, uh, have to let one go, so I was trying to avoid that by going to the front. That worked out, but um, yeah. Eventually, uh, I didn't win the race. Yesterday, from and Thomas showed they were better than everyone else. But today, you were maybe stronger than Flo. So, is, does it give you confidence for the next days and for the next mountain stages? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, he does not seem happy about how things unfolded in that sprint finish, does he? Yeah, it was it was a pretty explosive jump from Gary Thomas there, and Dumoulin really, there was just a delay in his response. And once he got going, he was definitely up to speed, and, and Dumoulin does have some some punch, Yeah, but uh, just didn't really get on uh, quickly enough. I, I don't understand challenge. why he drifted to the back of the group inside the final kilometer like that. At that point, they were going slow enough that I don't think it really mattered that he was leading it out. Right. I wonder if he was maybe not entirely clear on how the finish goes, like with that left-hand corner, and maybe he didn't realize it was going to be best to lead out of that. I don't know. It was a little weird to me that he dropped back like that. And and like he said, missing the move when Mika Landa jumped, yeah, that's uh, unfortunate for him, um, but uh, it gave uh, Garrett his second win. Now, we also heard from Sunweb's director, Luke Roberts, about um, about some more of the strategy and tactics that are going into this race. And um, he's got some interesting takes on um, on Team Sky's potential weaknesses. So let's hear from him at the finish of Alpe d'Huez. you about, you know, the strategy for him now being so close with Froome and Dumoulin. What, uh, what is the strategy from now on out? Um, yeah, well, he's now sitting, sitting third on the GC. The gap is relatively close to, to Froome, but still quite a big gap to Thomas. Uh, we'll have to see how how it pans out, the hilltop finish in Mende, um, and then assess as we go to the Pyrenees. Um, is Thomas still really a contender, or is he showing weakness into the last week? Uh, do we need to just keep the gap close to Froome and, and, uh, and go towards the final time trial, or do we need to, um, to peg some time back on Thomas? So it, we'll have to see how, how each day pans out. You know, at the finish line, Tom said that he actually thought Garen Thomas is stronger of the two based on what he saw on the climb today. Knowing that, does that change the plan at all? Um, it doesn't change our plan at all, but uh, yeah, I guess um, 
you know, the, for, for perhaps in the meetings in Team Sky there. Um, could be some discussions, I, I don't know, but yeah, I guess, uh, you know, for us it doesn't change our approach really. Looking at Sky's lineup and how they've performed up to this point, Bernal, Kwiatkowski, uh, even Castro Viejo making it through some of these mountains, it's, you know, is it, is it possible to take down a team of that strength? Yeah, I mean, they've showed, the last two days they've shown a weakness. They have a strong, uh, a high level with with five or six riders, but they're all, uh, once they go, they, they can ride a high tempo, but they can't make, go much faster. And when they need to lift, then they're also quickly dropping out. So, and you've seen uh, uh, Bernal was there, had a good day today. Otherwise, uh, you know, Thomas himself was left on the front to pull still relatively early in the final. So, um, you know, should... Uh, I was also um, much. Should they start to uh, start to feel the effects of the Alps in the Pyrenees? Um, you know, they can can be they show weaknesses. In. Tom said he was a little upset with the sprint. What what happened there in the finale today? I don't know. I haven't seen any of it yet. So yeah, I was having spoken with Tom. Very interesting stuff, Mr. Dane. What do you think about his uh, his opinion of, of 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 Team Sky? I mean, he's he's basically saying that um, they're kind of helping Garrett Thomas along here, and they're sort of, you know, Thomas maybe is holding them back from fully putting the pressure on on some of these climbs. I don't know if I necessarily agree there, but it's it's kind of interesting that the idea that that two leaders maybe like limits the absolute maximum of what they can do in attacks. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I I don't think that having two leaders is that bad of a thing for Sky. We've already talked about how big of a of an issue it is for other teams having to worry about two different guys. And sure. either one of these riders could crash at any point. I mean, even Chris Froome, who has managed to be pretty fortunate through his many Grand Tour victories, uh, avoided crashes generally except for that one time in 2014 where he went down uh, on that cobbled stage before the cobbles. Yeah. Uh, still, I mean, he could crash at any moment. Gary Thomas, any, you know, any moment, something could happen. It puncture on a, on a climb. I mean, having two guys is good. I think uh, the way they've been riding so far benefits both of them. They're both strong time trialists. They like the grinding climbs. So I think the fact that they're kind of similar riders means that Sky can play basically the same strategy, no matter who it is in yellow. Uh, it benefits either one of those guys, I think. Yeah. I My, my thought on it all is that uh, Tom Dumoulin, he needs to link up with uh, the Lotto NL Jumbo guys. They're all a bunch of Dutch guys. Mm, they can hang mm. out, talk Dutch to each other, and um, get a little help from those guys in the Pyrenees and uh, gang up on Froome and Garen Thomas a little. And um, I'm guessing Garen Thomas is going to, he's going to crack in the Pyrenees. And I think then it's going to be a real pure race between um, Dumoulin and Chris Froome. Yeah, and Froome needs to keep in mind that Dumoulin is despite Froome's talents, probably a better time trialist. Yeah, probably. Dumoulin could, could very well take some time in that final time trial. So this 11-second cushion that Chris Froome has right now, I don't know that that's enough. Mm, it's risky. Yeah. And I will say, though, that that final time trial, I've ridden some of those roads. They're quite hilly. They're not strict time trial right. roads. Which like helps a, Froome. It will help Froome, I think. But um, let me throw another take your way, Dane. Uh, bad idea for Tom Dumoulin to race the Giro this year. Mm. He should have saved his matches for the Tour de France for a real proper shot at unseating Chris Froome. I agree, 100%, uh, as, as cool as the Giro is. And, I mean, I was glad he was there. It made it a fun race. It did make it a good race. That's fair. Yeah. The Tour is the biggest race there is. And uh, I'm definitely, uh, yeah, I think 100% Tom Dumoulin, if he weren't maybe at whatever, 90%, whatever he is post-Giro. Um, 
as close as he is now to the GC, I would expect that he would you know, be right up there with Thomas, not a minute and 50 down if he hadn't raced the Giro. But who can, who can know? I mean, Froome raced the Giro too. Both of those guys are big question marks going into the last week. So Yeah, definitely. The Tour is the biggest race. And Alpe d'Huez, the stage, stage 12 finish, is pretty much the biggest stage of the biggest race. And the ambiance up there, it was crazy on that Thursday finish. For It was it was just wild. I mean, we were watching it here in, in Boulder. We didn't have the full experience of being among the Dutchmen on Dutch Corner or any of this other wild stuff, guys wearing Borat thongs or whatever. But you could tell on just by the broadcast, it was as crazy as it always is. Yeah, and the racing really lived up to it. That, that's another thing that I really liked about today. You don't always get racing that lives up to the stage. But uh, the the Stephen Kreuzwick raid today, his attempt, it, yeah. it came up short, but it was awesome. It was awesome. I mean, the Dutch people on, at, Dutch Corner, at Dutch Corner were going nuts. Uh, that's awesome for them that they got to see that. And then even when he was caught, we got this you know, battle between these several big heavyweights. At one point, they were four or five spread wide across the road. Nobody wanted to work. I yeah. mean, it was great. It was a really cool battle. And then, of course, Gary Thomas taking that second stage win to increase the palace intrigue. Yeah, it was mm. worthy of Alpe d'Huez, which is this legendary climb. Yeah, and spare a thought for Stevie Cruise ship, man. That was, that was probably one of the most heart-wrenching things I've watched on a, on a TV screen in a while. And, I mean, this wasn't even scripted, man. He was just pouring his heart out on that final climb. He had ridden so well over Quadifair, which is just an insanely long climb. He was pacing himself so well, and Sky just hunted him down, especially through the valley leading into Alpe d'Huez. It was just savage. Sky did not earn any fans that day. I do not think that. And which leads me to a question for you, Dane. Um, should there be booing in cycling. There's some people on Twitter saying, you know, they needed to show a little more respect. I think it was even a pro rider who threw out that take. He said, he said, we shouldn't be booing. You should show more respect. What do you think about this? I'm of two minds on this, Spencer. Okay. And, and here's why. Uh, on the one hand, I get a little frustrated when people sort of separate cycling from other major sports because they're, uh, trying to show respect to these riders pouring their hearts out. Mm. So are soccer players, but nobody really cares when, when you boo soccer players. Oh, they do far worse you than know. boo them, too. It's, and it's way worse for soccer. Or like American football. I mean, you go to Eagles games, they're throwing <clears throat> batteries real, on real the football, field. Real football, yeah. Yes. I mean, it's... And so other sports, there's all kinds of negative outpourings from fans, and cycling shouldn't be you know, separated from these. I think it's it's good to consider cycling just like any of the other major sports. That's what we want. We want cycling to be considered just like those other major sports at the same time, I'm not actually a fan of booing in any sport, so mm. I don't love it. Uh, I would prefer if people didn't do it. And the other thing with booing is I think it does kind of lead to an increased negative atmosphere, which maybe normalizes things like, oh, I don't know, pushing riders, yeah, throwing we, punches. We did see a little of that on Alpe d'Huez. A fan jumped out of the crowd and tried to push Chris Froome. It was a pretty weak attempt, I'd say. And given that Chris Froome's been known to punch fans here and there, I would yeah. say it's a bad idea to Risky. mess with them. Um, I think... Um, I think the booing on Alpe d'Huez, it was, for starters, I would say, very loud, very mm. very audible from broadcast. They were booing Garrett Thomas on the podium, too. Lots of booing going on on that mountain. Um, I think it's good. I think it's really good because Team Sky is just such this PR machine. They do everything they can to put out these bland statements, shutting down any questions or concerns about this salbutamol case that was just dominating the news cycle all the way up to the Tour de France, everything else about Team Sky. There's a lot of questions out there. Fans get frustrated by it. And this is one of the very few ways that fans can just actually express that in a very direct way to these riders to make it clear to them that there is an issue 
and Team Sky is not really addressing it in a way that is that's satisfactory to the to the fans at large. So I say keep booing Tour de France fans, but definitely do not touch. No touching. No just touching. Like, just like in Arrested Development. No touching. No touching. No touching. Yeah. Well, I have to wonder, Garen Thomas is sort of a free agent at the end of this season, although there's been a lot of chatter of him going back to Team Sky. But him climbing up Alpe d'Huez today in the yellow jersey, proving that he could very well be a Grand Tour-type rider that he's always thought he could be, and getting booed all the way up. Yeah. You know, is that really going to make him want to go back to Team Sky like everybody has always said he's going to do? I kind of wonder what's going to happen with him at the end of the season. He would be a fool to go back to Team Sky. I agree. Come on. He's yeah. in the prime of his career. This is the chance. Find a team that's going to actually support you as a true GC rider. But back to the overall scene at Alpe d'Huez. I mean, the one thing that is very unfortunate about it is that just this fervor that's been whipped up in the crowd, whether it's from Team Sky or whatever it is, it's just pe- people getting excited at a bike race. It's pretty normal in general, but it uh, it led Vincenzo Nibali to crash. He got caught on a fan on the side of the road. We, at first, we thought it was a race moto, but it actually turned out, got some Twitter's Pruder-style video, and um, yeah, looked like it was a fan. Cooked his bar, broke a vertebrae. Out of the Tour de France, very unfortunate because he was sitting fourth and was one of the few guys who maybe could challenge Team Sky, apart from Tom Dumoulin. Um, yeah, whoever this person was who, who caught Ch- Vincenzo Nibali and caused him to crash, I mean, this person's like the Bartman of, uh, of, of cycling right now, <laughs> of Italian cycling. Like, you know, the guy, so, you know, I'm not a baseball guy, but I know about Bartman. He's the dude who, he blocked that ball in the Cubs game and they didn't go to the World Series and everyone in Chicago hated him and there was all this drama um, that's a pretty good summary, right, Dan? You're, yeah, you're I, I a think baseball guy. I, I am. Well, the the comment I made about five minutes ago about wanting cycling to be considered more like other major sports, right? Uh, exception would be Bartman situation. Well, so. this was a Bartman situation. Yeah, I, I'll boo this guy. Boo this guy. Yeah. Whoever you are, boo him too. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't like put that. him right up on stage with Garen Thomas. Yeah, but you know, you take the good with the bad. The ambiance, Alpe d'Huez, wild, crazy, and um, we actually heard firsthand from an American rider. Uh, Ian Boswell, who's doing his first Tour de France with Katusha Alpeson, about this day of racing, talks about the vibe on Alpe d'Huez. He also talks about just how hard this stage was. And um, unfortunately, his team is really kind of, they're, they're, they're looking for a new objective in this tour because Marcel Kittel, their sprinter, he was out of the race following uh, the stage 11 the day before, time cut. And um, so now it's kind of like, well, what are we going to do? Ilner Zakarin not really in the picture for GC. So he talks about all these things and just gives us a good general impression of what it's like to be on such a amazing day of racing on a big hill full of cycling fans and to be, you know, basically cross-eyed. It's really brutal. Um, you know, what was your assessment of the stage today in terms of difficulty? Ten. Yeah. Out of nine. <laughs> uh, it's just a hard day, man. It was no breakaway before the... Called the Madeleine. Well, and then on the Madeleine, 30 riders went with, you know, Kreiswick. We had Zachar in there. Um, good situation for us, but Sky did their thing and just ripped it. And I mean, you know, they were, I don't I don't even know what happened. I think G won the stage. Yeah. Did he? Um, but they were fortunate to have the headwind in that valley. And, you know, the thing is with the stage like that, it's just so hot and hard. I mean, it's just such a hard day that. You know, people give Sky a lot of shit, but like, they're just smart. I mean, they have the best riders and they're smart, and they just kept it together, didn't panic, kept their guys, ate, drank, and I'm sure guys up front, you know, get overly excited that they're 
you know, seven minutes off the front of the, the race. And uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's almost six hour stage. So you have to play it smart, you know, especially with this heat, you know, eating and drinking is so important. And like Sky makes the point of it and people like kind of shrug it off like it's a stupid philosophy, but you know, guys forget to eat and drink on days like today just because it's hot. <laughs> yeah, hard, you know, it's the last thing you think of when you're on the limit is eating and drinking and um, you know, we've seen yeah. a, a number of sprinters abandoned today and with yeah. Marcel going out yeah. yesterday, it seems like this dynamic is actually one that a lot of teams are dealing with. You know, how have you guys talked about it and how did you regroup to move forward? Yeah, well, I think it's a combination of a smaller pel peloton, so the, the groupetto is smaller, and I think that's where it's noticeable. It's not noticeable at the front as much. There's not less crashes, you know how many crashes there were in the first week, but I think there's... Yeah, there's just less guys in the back, and I think the overall level of cycling is just higher. You know, just speaking with, you know, older pros, we, there's just, everyone's at a higher level, so, you know, the difference between the top 50 and the sprinters is bigger, and, um, yeah, and just the way the ra races are raced, you know, no, people don't really sit up and take it easy now, you know, it's <laughs> pretty full on all day. This is your first Tour de France out the West. What uh, scene are you going to remember from it? Uh, you know, I did, uh, spoke with my friend Marshall this morning, we're doing this little Breakfast with Boz podcast, and, you know, he's a pretty, uh, positive guy. And I was hoping, to be telling us, I was hoping to enjoy Optimus a bit more, I'm, uh, pretty cooked. <laughs> you know, I was like, it's a cool experience, but, you know, you get to a point where, like, people are dumping water on you, and getting, like, through, like, Dutch Corner, people are yelling and shouting, it's cool, but, um, yeah, we got... What, three more days till the rest day? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah thanks, it. man. All right, take care. Well, it sounds like he's having a fun time in France. Yeah, uh, a debut tour for Ian Boswell, yeah. by the way. I think it's going pretty well for him. It's the fact that he's still there with all these other riders dropping like flies, but that says something about his debut tour right there. Yeah, I would say so. And, um, you know, you just kind of got to get through it sometimes. And uh, it'll uh, it'll be, you know, maybe maybe he's one of these guys who can get in a break in the final week he's a good climber yeah who knows stuff can happen and he hasn't had that many opportunities to kind of ride for himself in his whole career so who Not knows usually. what he's like yeah you know? yeah so we'll see yeah uh dane let's wrap this one up let's uh let's wrap it up with a little off the front off the back we haven't done this segment in a bit so um do you want to lead us off yeah sure all right hit it yeah off the front i'm gonna go with uh, former ski jumpers spencer did you oh. know primoz roglic Used to be a ski jumper. I did not. Well, wow. let me tell you, Primoz Roglic, former ski jumper, switched over to cycling, has had a heck of a ride so far at Tour de France. And I've been very impressed by what we've seen. I've chatted with Roglic a little bit when I was over there. I talked to him a couple days. Uh, he was very much interested in downplaying his chances. So was his team. Uh, Roglic not saying a whole lot when asked about his, uh, his overall aspirations. You know, just taking it day by day, that kind of stuff. But, uh, boy, looking really good in the Alps. Uh, today he got, got dropped there on the final climb to Alpe d'Huez, but just kind of rode his own pace in that very time trialer kind of way and managed to kind of keep it really, really limited, those losses. I mean, he rolled across the finish line just 13 seconds down on Thomas, and now he's sitting, well, after Nibali's out of the race, he'll be fourth overall. I mean, that's really impressive for a guy who has really never ridden Grand Tour for GC. True, yes, he's finished the Giro, and he's finished the Tour, and he's won stages, he's won stages. on both of those occasions, yeah. so... Guy knows how to win, yeah. and you uh, you can't fake that. No, and, and uh, the real question is, what's it going to be like in the third week? Mm. We'll find out soon enough. To be determined. Off the back, let's go with uh, 
Spanish-speaking climbers. There's quite a few of them who have struggled. Shots fired. The last couple of days, uh, well, you got all of Movistar, basically. Alejandro Valverde, two days in a row, gets in the early break. Uh, Brave rides from Alejandro, and his teammates really didn't deliver. I liked his moxie. I'll give him that. Oh, yeah. I think uh, Valverde deserves plenty of credit for going for it. And then, uh, yeah, yesterday... Nairo Quintana, Mikel Landa, both just not really looking up to snuff. Landa, of course, coming off a really, that was a hard crash he took at uh, the Roubaix stage. So you got to at least give him a little bit of uh, clemency for that one. Nairo Quintana, just the form isn't really looking quite what we've seen from him in the past. And then again, stage 12, same thing. Those guys just not doing so great. Uh, look across some other teams, and Mikel Nieve came kind of close to a stage mm. win, stage 11. Another heartbreaking uh, breakaway rider caught yeah, two days sh- in a row. He should hang out with Stevie Cruise ship and they could like have a beer together yeah, and talk commiserate. about how much they hate Team Sky Ooh, for yeah. snatching stage wins yeah. from them. Yeah, yeah brutal. Yeah. So brutal. just not a great uh, couple of days in the Alps for the uh, Spanish-speaking climber types, but yeah. the Pyrenees are around the corner. They'll, little, have, they'll have another chance. A little closer to the homeland when they're down there. That'll be better, hopefully, for them. Uh, okay, let's see. For myself, I will say off the front is... Um, well, quite literally, uh, the breakaway off mm. the front. Early breakaway, especially, if we want to get specific here, because the early breakaways in the Alps, they've just been awesome. Because you got Peter Sagan mixing it up, getting points in the green jersey competition. And you've got, you know, TJ Van Garderen made an appearance, I think, in the stage, uh, I want to say the stage 11 breakaway. Off and also, in, I thought 12, he was up there. He might have been, yeah. 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 Been pretty active. Uh, nothing came of it, but still good on him for trying. And then, of course, I really, you know, you got to give a lot of credit to Julian Alaphilippe, who's been a madman in these early breakaways. He took the polka dot jersey on the first day of the Alps, and, uh, and then he's, uh, he's just been sneaking away every stage at the start, and he, he's been first over a lot of these big climbs early in the stage. And he's been very strategic, too, about this polka dot jersey chase. I think he realizes it's not a great idea to do the old uh, Stevie Cruz shift, do the old Mikel Nieve trying to make it last all the way to the end. So he just grabbed some points early on, early HC climb or something like that. Did that today on the Madeline. And then he uh, drifts back to the field and hangs out. He, <laughs> I saw a great Twitter video, or I think it was a Tour de France video of him going into his musette bag, kind of, you know, looking around for whatever's in there. And he pulls out like a can of Coke and he offers it to the TV moto guy. He's TV, a showman. He, yeah. And he's also, he likes to share. Yeah. So, doing, doing the justice yeah, to the Giving a little refreshment to the TV moto guy. Very kind of him. And then off the back, unfortunately, um, I'd say l- literally every single sprinter in the Tour de France off the back. Ooh. This has been a real bad week for sprinters. This has been awful for sprinters. Mark Cavendish out of the race. Marcel Kittel out of the race. We already mentioned him. Dylan Grunewagen out of the race. Dylan Grunewagen, of course, winner of two stages in a row coming into the Alps. And then Fernando Gaviria out of the race as well, also a double stage winner. That to me is kind of crazy because Gaviria, ostensibly, he's, he's a guy who can kind of drag his carcass over the mountains. He's sort of... Some people are saying he's akin to Sagan in terms of his skill set. He can get over the hills. He can show up in the sprints. You never know. But, I mean, he did not make it mm. through the Alpe d'Huez stage. And that sucks, man. This is going to be a real thin sprint field. You know, we got a sprint stage on Friday, stage 13, lucky number 13. Obviously, the Champs-Élysées stage, stage 21. I'm fairly sure there's at least maybe one I think there's one other one for sure. Yeah, I think yeah. going into Poe. Uh, midway through the Pyrenees, they have a little break after the first Pyrenean day, and then they've got, or no, two Pyrenean days, then a break with a with a flat finish. Either way, what I'm talking about is 
Freaking Arno Demar might win a yeah. tour stage. Yeah. Well, the the big question what do you think is of that Arno Demar yeah. or Alexander Kristoff might win a tour stage for the first time in a long time, or will he find a way to come in fourth again? Despite uh, that, being yeah. that's the big question. Okay. Fair. I have to yeah. say though, some of these otherwise would be sprint stages. There's going to be fewer teams to to close down the early breakaways. I mean, we're going to see a breakaway win on the Champs Elysees. It's possible. Mm. Gotta wonder. Mm, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Or is Sagan just going to win three stages? That's probably the most likely. I think it's outcome. pretty likely that Sagan's going to win some more stages to totally destroy our takes from early yeah, in the tour when you did. and I said he wasn't going to win any more stages. Uh, we were right that he didn't win the Roubaix stage, actually. Mm, yeah. But... Um, I'm seeing Sagan win at least a couple more stages, but man, Arno Demar, Milano San Remo winner. Yeah, maybe you can grab a moto and uh, help him out ooh, to one of these tour stage ooh, wins. Uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe. Shots fired. All right, well, before we uh, go too far off on that one, let's uh, let's wrap this one up, Dane. We have a few transition days through the weekend. You'll be hearing from boys in France um, off of the rest day ahead of the Pyrenees on the next Villainous podcast. So. Uh, That'll do it for Dane Cash. I'm Spencer Paulson. Thanks for listening to the Vela News Podcast. We'll see you next week.